If you're a Christian parent, we hope that you consider Scripture as the reference point or true north, if you will, of how you live your life and, as importantly, how you raise your children. The problem is that, as Christians, our faith, the faith of our children, and our Bible are being challenged and attacked in ways no previous generation of Americans ever had to endure. One of the big sticking points for many in Main Street America, including some Christians, is the veracity of miracles. And make no mistake, Scripture is chock full of miracles. But when you refuse to allow for miracles, well, then your take on the truth of Scripture as a whole gets brought into question. Well, it seems it's time to make a case for miracles, and we'll do just that today on Licensed to Parent. Well, hello and welcome to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program helping teens in crisis and their families. I'm Rich Rosel, and our host on Licensed to Parent is the founder and executive director of Shepherd's Hill, Trace Embry. And Trace, we have a real challenge as Christian parents in that we sit under the teachings of Scripture on Sunday, even do daily devotionals with our kids, but then we send them off to school on Monday, where in many cases they're being taught throughout the week that the very foundation of what they're being taught at home and in church is basically a lie. And as many of our listeners know, we are big proponents of homeschooling or private Christian school over public school when possible. But these challenges to our faith are all around us. I mean, uh, not only in school, but in the media and in life in general. Right. So in my mind, the bigger conundrum is how infrequently and how ineffectively so many of us even discuss these contradictions with our kids. Do you mm-hmm. see that as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, these days I think it's being more uh, or discussed more openly than it was when we were kids. I'm not so sure how effectively it's being discussed by the average Christian family. Hmm. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in an overtly Christian home, uh, but if anyone ever asked me, my parents trained me to say that I was a Protestant. And yeah, same here. Yeah, you know, filled out forms, you know, religion, Protestant, and you know, that's pretty much all I was told to pertain to faith because as a family, we we just never went to church, but. I still knew by virtue of the predominantly Christian culture I grew up in that, that God, uh, you know, did miracles and that he created the earth in, in six days. But in my public school, of course, uh, you know, I was taught the earth was billions of years old and miracles were viewed as something reserved for, quote, Bible times or fairy tales. Uh, back then, the biblical versus the secular contradiction was never, you know, as we already said, discussed by anyone. We, we just seemed blinded to any apparent contradiction. Today, however, we you know we live in the information age, and in the day of the new atheists who now use the internet as a pretty effective platform to indoctrinate our kids with with their sacrilege. And I'm talking about guys like, you know, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, Matt Dillahunty, and the like. Uh, Christopher Hitchens would would be another guy. I mean, he definitely now knows the truth behind miracles. And, and by the way, Christopher Hitchens uh, was an atheist. He died back in 2011, I think. This is the guy who argued that free expression and scientific discovery would eventually replace religion as an ethical code of conduct for human civilization. We hope that will not be the case. But uh, he had a very famous saying, though, what can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. And I think that's uh, now become known as Hitchens' razor. Hmm. Well, anyway, my, my point is that all the difficult objections to the Christian faith in days gone by were largely reserved for seasoned theologians. Uh, but today, these difficult challenges are now being presented to anyone and everyone, by anyone and everyone on the Internet. 
And so our kids are getting some strong arguments against the veracity of Scripture and of miracles while not seeing or caring to see the strong cases for the veracity of Scripture and miracles. And, you know, if they could be persuaded that miracles don't exist, then what does that say for the credibility of Scripture as a whole? Right. Uh, consequently, uh, we parents and, and, and our kids now have to feel these questions for which most of us are grossly ill-equipped to deal with, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you know, when I was going toe-to-toe with a, a prominent atheist named uh, David Silverman, he told me that uh, if I could name just one miracle, uh, that, that maybe he'd, he'd uh, consider Christianity. But, of course, he wanted to set his own parameters for what a miracle actually was, and then he wanted to redefine the terms and revise history, and on and on it went. I mean, it was comical. The guy was adorable. I mean, he, he, uh, It's <laughs> very convenient, though, when you can play a game that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's just, change the rules on the ex- slide. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's an old saying that goes something like, and I'm, I'm, this is probably not exactly right, but the mind uh, can't receive anything but what the heart has already accepted. And I think this is a, more of a heart mm. and a moral issue than anything yeah. else. And, but uh, so w- w- when, I, when I challenged Mr. Silverman that unless you had a viable third answer for how life and matter came into being, uh, that he'd probably have to concede his position on miracles by virtue of the fact that there can really only be two options as how things really began. One, the university had started from nothing or... The universe always was. Now, either way, you got a miracle on your hands, right? Right. Now, he couldn't seem to get the bat off his shoulders on any third option. Uh, and these two options alone, you know, for, uh, for origins, both point to the God written about in Scripture. So if we can understand and accept these as original miracles, the resurrection should be a snap. And this can only, you know, only make the Bible more credible and today's guest in his book a lot more helpful when it comes to, you know, understanding the God of the Bible and the miracles therein. Hmm. Well, we have brought an expert with us, and uh, it's taken us a little while to get to this point, but I definitely want to uh, to introduce him. Today, joining us uh, here is a, a man to help make the case for miracles. In fact, he wrote a book by that title. Atheist-turned-Christian Lee Strobel is a former award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune and a best-selling author of more than 20 books. His classic, The Case for Christ and The Case for Christ Movie, which came out in 2017, are favorites that detail his conversion to Christianity. Uh, His book, The Case for Grace, won the 2016 nonfiction book of the year from the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. And earlier this year, he released his latest book, The Case for Miracles. It's published by Zondervan. Uh, for the last 25 years, his life's work has been to share the evidence that supports the truth and claims of Christianity and to equip believers to share their faith with people they know and love. He's currently a teaching pastor at Woodlands Church in Texas, where he speaks multiple times each year. Uh, Lee also recently joined the faculty at Houston Baptist University as a professor of Christian thought. And uh, he and his wife, Leslie, have been married for over 40 years. They've got two grown children and live, not surprisingly, in Texas. There you go. Well, Lee, I think this is your first uh, licensed parent rodeo. Welcome to the Broadcast Corral. Well, thanks, uh, Trace and Rich. Great to be with you today. You've written a, a lot of books that affirm cases for, you know, why we believe what we believe about many things as Christians. Why do you think the case for miracles is so important, particularly for Christian parents to understand? Well, you know, I started out as a skeptic. I was an atheist myself, and uh, it was really my two-year investigation of the um, evidence historically for the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus that uh, convinced me that uh, Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, but backed up that claim by returning from the dead. And so that was pivotal in me coming to faith. 
Um, but it left me, you know, I'm still a skeptic. I've had, it's still in my DNA and yeah. probably by my journalism and legal training. And um, so I wanted to know, is God still in the miracle business? Is he still performing miracles even today? And that's what led me into a two-year investigation into the supernatural that resulted in my book, The Case for Miracles. And now uh, it's currently in production as a motion picture that will come out next year. Mm, so I, I think it's important because it's foundational. You know, the, the, the miracle of the resurrection, of course, is the linchpin of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. So, you know, from that perspective, the uh, historical evidence for Jesus returning from the dead is vitally important to the Christian faith. It underpins everything that we do. And, um, you know, we have a robust and, and powerful and persuasive case we can make uh, from the historical evidence uh, that Jesus uh, made these divine claims and then backed up those claims through his resurrection. Um, and I think the fact that he still... God is still in the miracle business today, that God is still doing things that uh, go beyond what natural processes can produce in and of themselves, uh, ought to give us encouragement. Uh, it, it ought to be uh, a sign of, number one, he's present, he's still there, he's uh, available to us, uh, he loves us, uh, he cares about us, and uh, he's powerful, uh, more powerful than any uh, problem that uh, we run into day by day. I, I got a question, though. Uh, Trace mentioned his conversation with David Silverman and the fact that the terms uh, got bandied about and changed in mid-conversation. For the sake of our conversation today, let's lay some groundwork. How do we define a genuine miracle? What constitutes a miracle? Yeah, this is critical um, because uh, you can see that the definitions that many atheists use uh, just does not hold up. I think the best definition that I've seen comes from Richard Pertill. He was a uh, Christian philosopher. Uh, he defines a miracle as an event uh, that's brought about by the power of God that's a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. So what's important about that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature. It's not a violation of the laws of nature. Uh, uh, David Hume, the famous skeptic from the 1700s, uh, gave an incorrect definition of miracles when he said that miracles violate the laws of nature. You can't violate the laws of nature, therefore miracles are impossible. But um, miracles aren't a violation. You know, I've got a pencil in my hand right here. If I were to drop this pencil, the law of gravity says it's going to hit the floor. But if I drop this pencil and you reach in and grab it before it hits the floor, you haven't overturned the law of gravity. Right. You haven't violated the law of gravity. You've merely intervened. And so if God uh, did create the universe, as Genesis 1-1 tells us, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if that's true, then it would be like child's play for God to intervene in the creation that he himself set into motion and uh, do something that uh, goes beyond what natural processes can achieve. Do you think God ever sits around saying, hey, watch this? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, some of the miracles I investigated uh, during my two years uh, are so mind-blowing, so profound, and so well-documented that um, uh, it's almost as if God's showing off a little bit. Mm. Um, well, you know, some of the things that I concluded after this two-year investigation is, number one, God is still in the miracle business. Number two, miracles occur a lot more frequently than people think. And number three, many miracles are a lot better documented than skeptics uh, like to charge. 
And um, so, you know, I think those uh, run contrary to what uh, our atheistic um, brothers might tell us. Mm. Uh, Lee, is there any biblical evidence or otherwise that that might indicate that in due time all miracles might be discovered to be nothing more than yet-to-be-discovered science? I mean, to the guy living in 1902, before man flew, to say that we're going to put an American flag on that moon out there, the answer would have been nothing short of a miracle. Is it possible that we're going to get to heaven and meet Jesus and, hey, how did you make that withered hand, you know, grow? how would you raise that guy from the dead? And he, and he says, yeah, I did this, that, and the other. I thought this and that. I could have done that. Yeah, you could have, but you didn't know how. Is that mm. possible or, or am I out to lunch here? Well, you know, I think the, the issue of whether or not all miracles ultimately will be explained by science um, is, a, is a form of uh, science in the gaps, that um, suggesting that somehow science is going to explain it, all this away someday. Um, I, I don't think it does, because science tells us, science is what's repeatable. Um, you know, it, it, it's based on what's repeatable, and of course, miracles are one-off events. They don't get repeated. Yeah. Um, so testing miracles scientifically can be a challenge, although... In my book, I document several scientific studies of miracles Mm -hmm. uh, published in peer-reviewed scientific medical journals, secular journals, uh, that do point toward uh, a supernatural uh, causation. Um, And so we do see science being used in some ways to point toward the miraculous. But, um, you know, I think the the definition of miracles of God um, um, intervening uh, in in nature means he goes beyond what the natural processes uh, might uh, on their own accomplish. Mm -hmm. Does your book uh, give any ammunition to parents or, or to their kids that would help them substantiate the idea that miracles are still happening today? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, um, a lot of non-believers will challenge Christians um, because they think that the idea of miracles is absurd, and um, they'll use that to kind of taunt Christians and, and make fun of them, that you believe in talking snakes and people walking on water, which are clearly ridiculous, and therefore your beliefs are clearly ridiculous. And yet, uh, you know, as I say, we have good scientific evidence that Genesis 1-1 is correct, that, that, that there is uh, a supernatural creator behind the origin of our universe. We do have outstanding historical data that tells us that Jesus rose from the dead and thus proved he is the Son of God. And in my book, I document some uh, modern miracles that are so well documented, you just can't there is no alternative explanation. There is no naturalistic explanation. Yeah. And so when skeptics say that, well, you can't trust the Gospels because they report supernatural things, uh, what I want to say is, you know what, we, we, even in this day, we have well-documented cases of miracles, and therefore there's no reason to doubt uh, the miracles that we see reported in the four Gospels. When you buy into a false premise from the jump that miracles aren't even in the equation, uh, then you've, um, you've really kind of shot yourself in the foot. Uh, but have you given a copy of your book to David Silverman? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if David's seen it, but, you know, I begin my book by interviewing uh, Michael Shermer, who is yeah. probably the number one skeptic in America. He's the editor of Skeptic Magazine and uh, founder of Skeptic Magazine and uh, the president of the uh, Skeptics uh, Society. And um, I, I challenge him. I said, hey, I'm going to give you all the space you need here. Disprove miracles. You know, give it your best shot. 
to build a case against miracles. And I allow him three chapters uh, through my interview with him to try to do that. And, and the reason I did that is I want uh, people to see that we ought not to be afraid of these claims made by skeptics, because in the end, they, they, they amount to a hill of dust. Uh, they, the, the, the claims are not well taken. You know, he still relies on David Hume, um, this uh, skeptic from the 1700s, and yet uh, modern philosophers have, have decimated Hume's arguments. In fact, Oxford just recently published Secular a book called Hume's Abject Failure. Yeah. So, um, you know, his, his arguments are, are clearly not credible anymore. Yeah, and the, um, these aren't all Christian philosophers. These are secular people who are debunking yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. This is a, this is a, a um, non-Christian philosopher who's written that book. Uh, who just decimates um, uh, Hume's uh, claims. So um, by relying on Hume and, and by making, uh, I, I think what, what often happens is skeptics will raise the bar of skepticism unreasonably high when it comes to miracles. So, for instance, Skeptic Magazine had an article by an atheist physician, and she said, well, what would it take for me to believe that a miracle has taken place? And she said, well, um, I'll tell you what, if you could show me a chicken that has learned to speak English, learned to read, and can beat a grandmaster at chess, then I, maybe I would consider that to be a miracle or something supernatural. Now, to me, that's just, that's just absurd. That's raising the bar unreasonably high. Uh, when we've got um, documented examples with great medical mm -hmm. records, eyewitnesses, and so forth of uh, miraculous events that have happened um, in contemporary times, uh, to me, I find that persuasive. I think we can reasonably conclude that a miracle has occurred if we have solid documentation, if we have multiple incredible eyewitnesses who don't have any motive to deceive, if there are no alternative naturalistic explanations, and if there's a spiritual context like prayer. Uh, when those things are present, I think it's reasonable to conclude that a miracle has uh, occurred unless you rule them out at the outset. Right. If yeah. you say miracles are impossible, now show me the evidence. Right. And we, and um, that's not keeping an open mind. No, but that's the approach many skeptics take. You're exactly right. And they use that argument that we're not open-minded, uh, that we're closed-minded. But uh, when we come back from the break, I, I do want to talk to you about the legitimacy of anecdotal evidence. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Yep, we're talking with Lee Strobel, author of the book The Case for Miracles, published by Zondervan. And uh, boy, if we got a lot more to cover here. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, back with more conversation with Lee Strobel right after this. The world of digital technology is always changing, and it's changing you if you're comfortable with technology or not. Your kids may take technology almost completely for granted and rarely notice its effects. On the other hand, you may adapt to technology more slowly, but are affected by the digital invasion just as much as your kids. In the book, The Digital Invasion, How Technology is Shaping You and Your Relationships, authors Dr. Archibald Hart and Sylvia Hart-Fried uncover the ways digital technology is changing us from within, physically, mentally, and especially spiritually, and offers therapeutic and biblical strategies to become good stewards of our digital lives. The Digital Invasion also includes 10 pages featuring Trace Embry of Shepherds Hill Academy. Find The Digital Invasion in the store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherds Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund. Teen Rebellion, Depression, Addiction. 
Rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherd's Hill Academy offers a 12-month, Christ-centered, nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and licensed to parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. We're talking today with Lee Strobel about his book, The Case for Miracles. And incidentally, if you have missed past Licensed to Parent programs, let me direct you to our website, LicensedToParent.org. You can hear all of the past programs there and also uh, keep up with what's going on at Shepherd's Hill Academy, our parent organization, through the uh, Shepherd's Hill website and through our blog. Uh, Lee, one of the pushbacks against miracles uh, that we hear so often is that miracles are really merely anecdotal. There's not any hard evidence behind it, but I know you say that's just not so. Tell us why, I I guess, we should or shouldn't give credibility uh, to miracles if there is only anecdotal evidence, even given by Christians. Well, I think when we, um, you know, when we look at the evidence and see that the evidence of science tells us clearly that there's a supernatural creator of all that there is, that opens the door for miracles. And therefore, an anecdotal case where you tell me about a miracle that's happened to you, I can find quite credible uh, because my worldview allows for the supernatural. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't need a lot of uh, documentation necessarily in order to believe your claim because I've seen it happen before. I've seen other miracles take place, and I believe that we live in a universe uh, where God is free to intervene at his will. So um, now the problem is it generally won't con- convince a skeptic. And right. um, um, so for those folks that um, whose worldview is um, um, decidedly anti-miraculous or who are more skeptical about whether or not God exists in the first place, then I think the documentation is important. And uh, it helps, I think, show that... Um, 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 you know, we have um, medical uh, documentation, we have eyewitness um, testimony and so forth, um, and, and so I think that becomes important. But when, you know, one of the things I did in my research is I conducted a national survey in which I asked a cross-section of Americans, uh, have they ever had an experience they can only explain as a miracle? Uh, well, 38% said yes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you extrapolate that out, that means that it's about 95 million miracles uh, that have taken place. Now, let's say that 99% of those so-called miracles are really just extraordinary coincidences. Well, that would still leave nearly a million miracles that have taken place. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, I think they're more common than we think. And interestingly, 55% of physicians in America say they have seen an example of a miracle in their practice of medicine. 
So these are well-educated people who understand how science works, who understand how healing works, and they're saying 55%, a majority of American physicians saying, I've seen a miracle in my practice of medicine. Can, can a person be a Christian and not believe in miracles today? And then how, how do we respond to our kids when they say, you know, why do miracles always happen overseas from the third world? And by the way, along those lines, there are some Protestant and even evangelical denominations that believe that the miracles ended with the apostles in the first century church. Mm-hmm. Right. So They're called cessationists, and, and that's a um, theological position that some people take. I'd say a couple things. Why do miracles happen often overseas is because we generally see them in places where the gospel is breaking in for the first time. So we see them in Mozambique. In fact, there's been a scientific study that I reported in my book about miracles in Mozambique that has been published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal. Um, and, and the gospel is breaking into Mozambique in a culture that's illiterate. They, don't, they can't read scripture. And, um, um, and so we see, uh, you know, for in China, it's been estimated up to 90% of the people who join the church, uh, either themselves or they know someone who's been um, healed supernaturally. Mm-hmm. So we see it, it uh, fueling the growth of God's church around the planet, generally in places where the gospel is just breaking in. Uh, can we be Christians and uh, not believe in miracles? No, we have to believe in the miracle of the resurrection. Uh, can we be a Christian and believe the miracles no longer occur? Yes. Um, but I think that runs contrary to the evidence. I do, too. Uh, I, 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 I see too many examples of miracles taking place. Um, uh, and I don't think uh, theologically, you know, John Piper, who's a, um, a Calvinist and a, a pretty prominent uh, pastor, did a research into this issue of cessationism and kind of threw up his hands and said, you know, you can argue this both ways. Uh, I just, I don't know which way is the best, uh, you know, answer to this question. But I think the evidence shows that God is still in the miracle business today. Yeah. Well, Lee, I know we're out of time, but I, th- I have to squeeze in one more question because I think parents need to know this. Uh, should their teens be allowed to listen to guys like Matt Delahunty or any of the new atheists mm. on the internet without some kind of seasoned uh, counterpart present, preferably an informed parent, uh, to kind of rebut or debrief? Uh, what's your take on that? Or, you know, how do we keep from looking like we're afraid of having our faith challenged by someone who might be smarter than we are? I think it's important for us to create an environment in our families where uh, it's okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I, I would be very hesitant to allow uh, someone, uh, a youngster, to watch uh, a presentation by an atheist without some sort of debriefing afterward to help them see the faulty nature of their arguments. Now, what I kind of encourage is uh, debates. Sure. Um, you know, there's some terrific debates that are out there on the Internet. Um, for instance, the one between William Lane Craig and Christopher Hitchens, the guy who wrote the book God is Not Great. And uh, that was conducted at Biola University a few years ago. It's readily available online. Let me quote to you the atheist commentator's uh, conclusion about that debate. They said, quote, uh, William Lane Craig, the Christian, spanked Christopher Hitchens like a foolish child. <laughs> so here you've got a fair debate between two intellectual giants who clash on the question of the existence of God, but you get to hear both sides. You get to hear um, um, not just one side unfiltered and unrebutted, but right. both sides presented. I think that can be healthy to watch something like that together with our kids and then talk about it. Yeah. And uh, always to create that safe place where it's okay to ask questions. We've been talking today with Lee Strobel, the former legal editor of the Chicago Tribune and best-selling author,
author of more than 20 books, including his classic, The Case for Christ, and the book we've been digging into today, The Case for Miracles, published by Zondervan. You'll find them on his website, leestrobel.com. Lee, you have graced us with your time today. We are so grateful. Thanks for being on License Thank to Parent. You, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Blessings to you and your ministry. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And that brings to an end yet another edition of Licensed to Parent. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And while there, we do invite you to check out the many parenting conversations we've had with a variety of guests on this program and to subscribe to our blog as well. Also, if you'd consider becoming one of our financial and prayer supporters to help keep this work going and on the air, we'd be very grateful. You can donate securely online by clicking the Donate button at LicensedToParent.org. And as a reminder, all gifts are tax-deductible. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Pacina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to phone a friend and together join us again next time when once again we'll renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.